And it's been my privilege to share the word over the past few weeks. Um, I'm going to be sharing on a topic called hidden treasure. Now, this idea is all through scripture. And this is how God interacts with his people. Sometimes you would think, because God's so big and God's so amazing and God's so good, everything should be just left on the table. But the whole concept of treasure is for those who really go find it. Have you, have you, have you ever done, uh, you know, like treasure seekers or treasure hunters? You see these reality shows and stuff where people go to different places. Or that weird person on the beach with the... I know, don't worry. I, I, I can sometimes be that person, right? But with God... He's looking for people who are looking for precious things in nothingness, in everydayness. And like Jackie said, moment by momentness, the mundaneness of life can draw you to a place where it's like nothing to see here. Oh God, I need a real, you know, it's career decision time. I need help with this. Lord, I asked for a great job and a great boss and good pay. Lord, I'm thinking about this person. I really want to get married. I asked that you'd open, like all those big life decisions, suddenly we want to find treasure. Suddenly we're very busy hunting around for the good stuff. But what happened this morning? Before you got your coffee. I'm talking to me here. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. It was hard. And I was sore. And my kids that I had just taken laundry and my wife, we we had just done laundry and we'd got it to their rooms and it was on the floor again and in a laundry hamper. And you're like, wait, this was the stuff that we just did. Anyway, so... It was like one of those moments where you have to step back and say, Lord, I need to meet with you quickly. (laughs) Because there's a part of me that just wants to explode. And that's just my life. So I don't know what's going on in your life. And it's hard sometimes to look for the treasures of God in the mundane. Which is why we laugh at the guy on the beach. You're like, dude, you're just supposed to be sitting on the beach. But he's like, there's precious stuff hiding in the sand right here. Yeah, sure. There'll be quarters or nickels or, you know, those kinds of things that you will find. But sometimes you will find diamond rings on the beach. Because a lot of people, (laughs) yeah, yeah, we know. (laughs) Yeah, have lost their wedding rings at the beach. But that's that's just a sample or an easy way to illustrate how... We go to places where we see just big vastness and we think, oh, this is all it is. Scripture talks about hidden treasure that God saves for those who seek after Him. The Bible uses the language of seeking after God as the one whom God responds to. But today's message is going to be I would say by far the most important message in this series. Because while God has hidden treasure, He has not been aloof. He has not stayed away. He's not left it like some national treasure hidden map that Nicolas Cage is going to find somewhere. Right? He has left it clearly in front of you that you would meet him and know him. And he says, now, let's go on this hunt. To use another similar analogy, have you ever done an Easter egg hunt? How hard are those eggs to find? Honestly. Like, especially if you've got little kids. Not really hard, right? I mean, I can literally see five in the grass. But... It is hidden treasure. And it is the joy and the delight of a parent when you see your little child running around (laughs) like looking for something and you're like, come, come over here. Let's, let's have a look over here. You know, 
And they find this one. Ah, I found something. I found something. And they're so besides themselves. And that's what God looks like when he looks at his kids. He doesn't leave you to be like, oh, it's somewhere in some yard. Go figure it out. He comes with, it's his delight to hide things for you. It's not hide things from you. It's hide things for you. There are things, Michael, that God has hidden along your journey that he's like, this is only for Michael. No one else is going to touch this egg. There are things, Kelly, that God has hidden specifically for you that you would not have discovered in all these years of your life. He's hidden it along the path and he says, I will walk with you and I will lead you down this path and I will say, take a look over there. There might be something there for you. And as you walk down this road of your relationship with God, God delights in this. When you find it, he, he beams, you know when you as a parent, again, you keep using that analogy, the delight you feel when you see your kid open a present, the joy you feel when you see your child receive something that they did not know, know existed five minutes ago. That joy. He loves to draw you into his love for you. But this starts all the way in the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 12. And I'm just going to use this phrase because this is the phrase that typifies God's heart towards his people. God says, I will walk among you. He's talking to the nation of Israel. He had just drawn them out. They are now a nation. It's no longer a bunch of people. They're out of Egypt. He says, I will walk among you. I will be your God. And you will be my people. Have you ever heard that phrase? They're my people. These are my people. God says about you, these are my people. He identifies himself on the, in the context of earth. He identifies himself as your people. I'm with them. Not there with me. I'm with them. Imagine the amount of commitment and unwavering covenant that he has made with us that he would say, no matter where you go, I'm okay with being identified by you. That's something else. Because in today's context, in the way we live in Christianity, there is a lot about how much we need to be identified by who God is, which is true. And that is part of what we were dealing with last week, the secret heart. What is it about who we are that people see versus the deep, inner, real part of us that we'd never expose to other people? But it's who we are. So if you put that to the side for one second, I want you to get to this. God says, I'm yours. You're mine, but I'm yours. I want you to just let that sink in a little bit. Because it's hard to digest this one. Because the first one we can digest quite easily. I belong to God. But then God goes a step further and he says, guess what? I belong to you. What you go through, I will go through. What you face, I will face. The things you contend with, I will contend with for you. This is what God designed marriage to be a reflection of. Because marriage was meant to display this aspect of God's belonging, not just a one-way street where now you're in my family. So in all of the systems of how mankind has messed with marriage, we have made the covenant about a man being the one who is the head of the home. Yeah, I understand that. But it is a covenant of two people saying, I belong to you. And now the other person gets to say, I belong to you as well. And so when God makes this almost ludicrous, one-sided, 
we all know who the better one is in this equation kind of a deal. He says, guess what? I bring myself and join myself to you as one. We are no longer two. We're no longer two parties who are trying to figure out this road together. We're one party. We do everything together. You and I are one flesh. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 9, it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. <laughs> don't, don't, don't be uh, confused in all of his closeness with you that you're dealing with some human being. He is God. Know that the Lord your God is God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. So what is God's treasure? You're looking at it. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now he was talking specifically to the nation of Israel. Which came out of a covenant God made to Abraham. We'll get back to that in a second. It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people of the world. That the Lord set his love on you and he chose you for you were the fewest of all the peoples. You were nothing impressive to look at. Out of all the nations, he picked one that was in captivity. That was under Egypt's control. That's where Israel became a nation. Israel was not a nation outside of it. It was just tribes. Just backstory for those of you who are catching up with some Bible history. When God called Abraham out, he was a guy living out there with people who are not connected to God. God says, I have called you out for my purposes. And God confirms his covenant to Abraham. And then he tells him that through you, the nations, plural, will be blessed. And that nations, plural, will come out of you. Not just a nation. A lot of people get confused about that. They will just say, oh, well, it was about Israel. No, no, no. Right at the beginning, if you look at the covenant God made with Abraham, and then he repeated it to Sarah. Nations will come out of you. Okay. Now, that's the covenant he made with them. But then his covenant was made specifically with his son, Isaac. He says, my covenant will follow with him. I will bless Ishmael too. He will be a great nation. But Isaac will be the one I bless. So Isaac, Abraham's son. Isaac has his son, Jacob, who is now living in this land of Canaan. There's a famine in the land and all of Jacob's sons. This is where we pick up the story of Joseph. Joseph goes into captivity. When they go to buy food during this famine that was running through the land, they go to Egypt to get some food. And guess what happens? Long story short, Joseph rises in fame and power. He becomes literally the prime minister of Egypt. Now, land was set apart for them in Egypt, and that's when they started to become... A people. These tribes started to become a nation. After Jacob's sons, these 12 tribes happened. And in captivity, they grew up. And God says, that's the people I pick. These people who don't have a land, they've got basically prison quarters or prison land, which is sectioned off for them to build bricks for those pyramids you saw. For all those things that we all go and visit nowadays. These guys are going to be building half of that stuff. God picks the weakest of people. But I want you to see God's hand was all the way through. With the ones that he set his affection on. And he says, I will call you out as a people for my treasured possession." Now, I want you to read First Peter. So let, let me just read Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. I have set you apart. That word holy 
simply means to be set apart for purpose and for use. You're not just like everybody else. So you never get to say, but what about him? But what about her? You are set apart and holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So that's the nation we're talking about. Now jump to 1 Peter chapter 2. Now this is talking about the people who believe in God through the work of Jesus. Now this is, we're talking about the church. So we're not talking about the nation of Israel now, we're talking about the church. What does it say here? But you are a chosen breed of people. You're a unique breed. People who believe God. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession. Do you see the the ring of that passage from Deuteronomy? It's the same text. Just updated For those who would come from a different line of Abraham, which was the line of faith. So we are still Abraham's seed. And the nations, this is where that S part comes in. Out of all the nations of the earth, God says, I'm going to collect a people who are my treasured possession. Who I will disclose my heart to. Who I will disclose the deep things of God to. When Jesus was talking to his disciples, he says, Little children, don't worry. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's talking to people who were putting their faith in the work that he was going to do. But he is telling them to set their minds on something that is wholly different than what is the mundane. I go to my job. I have my kids. I just got to make sure I put enough in the 401k. I got to make sure that this is what happens with sports. The mundane. Everything's going along. These are the things that I have to do. And God calls after you and says, I've called you to be holy. And that word holy does not mean sacred. Which has connotations of Oh, oh, no, there's, there's not going to be songs sung while you walk around. Holy is when you woke up without coffee. Right? That is holy. Do you, see, do you hear any songs at that point of the day? Mm-mm. But when he says holy, he says, you are set apart for me. This is where he pinches down on the you belong to me but the heart with which he's saying that is i belong to you and i long to spend time with you you are the one i wake up to see if god were to wake up do you understand you you need to understand this context of god desiring you with a deep love that is not just like Let's see when these guys get to worship service. All right, I guess I'll meet with a few of them. No. His heart is not waiting for you to get into these four walls. He's not waiting for you to pray the right prayers or look sacred enough. In all your mundaneness, in the plainness of life, he says, I have treasure for you. But it comes alive when you come with a heart that says, Lord, you have said, seek my face. Psalm 27 verse 8 says this. Lord, you have said, seek my face. And my heart says back to you, almost like an immediate response, without you even having to say the words, Lord, your face I will seek. It's not because you are God and you are holy and therefore I'm... No, it's because I am connected to you. I cannot but seek your face. Put this in the context of someone you love. Why do we go through the burden of living with somebody who is not you? Come on, just let's be real. What's the point? Because 
you are worth giving my life for. We don't often come back to these mooring points in our marriage. Why did I marry you? Because I believed at one point, and I need to reaffirm it constantly, that when I set my heart on you, I was prepared to lay my life down for you. And this is what Jackie was touching on. It's not about you one day saying, well, I guess I do. Put the ring on it. Well, what about tomorrow? And then the day after that. So it is easy to make declarations of covenant. It's easy to make a declaration of commitment. But it is not easy to live that declaration day after day. Because tomorrow, I still think about me. And I have to choose to lay myself down. I have to choose to be found in her love. I have to choose to draw myself to the fact that my wife does not like light in the bedroom when we go to bed. Well, what's with that? And then, the, you, the toothpaste. And then, where I decide laundry goes. I mean, you, you, it's, you, I mean, the list is endless, right? But if my heart is found in her love, I draw close to that heart, and it is a, you suddenly find, well, what's the big deal of me putting it here? Oh, that was just my preference. If that is her preference, I would much rather put it here. Is that me losing ground to my wife? There is no ground to lose. There is only love to be gained. Do you understand? And this is the thing we often forget in our relationship with God. We think He's always trying to extract something out of us. Well, what, what do you want now? You want me to pray more? You want to read more Bible? Well, what, what? And you forget that every place that God draws you to is a place of encounter with Him. He says, all I long to do is disclose my heart to you. It is my good pleasure to give you the things of the kingdom. But seek first the kingdom of God. It's in that context. It's not him saying, well, if you only sought my kingdom well, you know, you'd have this stuff. He knows everything you need. Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How? 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 You ask yourself that question. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You think he's holding back from you? You think he's holding, some, holding out on you till you become more holy? He knows exactly where you're at. And if he said, I will give you my son, his very own son, he laid down his life. For you, somebody who doesn't even believe in half the process. Because you gave up the next day. You're like, he's holding out on me. He still pursues you and says, I will graciously give you all things. Romans 5 verse 8 says, For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for us. This is why the cross of Jesus matters more than anything else. It is the clearest indication that God wasn't just talking love language. Do you understand? When he says, I will love you, I will be your God, you will be my... He was saying, I'm willing to show you that I'm not holding back. In this covenant I have made with you, I will keep my word. If I have promised to be with you, I will be with you. And this phrase, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. This is a phrase that comes up in Scripture all the way through the arc of the Old Testament into the New Testament. And when Jesus, God with skin on him, he's standing there with his disciples. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. Even in that moment where he looked like he was abandoning them. 
This is John chapter 14, verse 26 onwards. He's talking about, I I will send you my Holy Spirit. I will come and be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Romans 8, verse 38 says, For I'm sure that neither life, neither death nor life, no angels, no rulers, no things present, nor things to come, nor any kind of power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Go back to verse 38. The question is, those first four words... Read those first four words. Are you sure? And this is why this message is so pivotal if you are ever to seek after God. Because if you are not sure that when tomorrow comes that in the mundaneness or in the absolute crushing defeat of what sometimes life throws your way where you feel like you're walking through something that like I've lost everything I have and then you have this small serpent of a thought that comes up behind you that says if God really loved you He wouldn't let you go through this. This is too much. You're serious? I gave my own son for you. And I have said that I will be with you. And you choose not to meet with me. And then you stand up the next morning and say, Well, I guess God doesn't really love me. Why? Because I lost a job. Why? Because I lost someone I love. Why? Because something, I had an accident and something bad happened to me. We're not stuck with good karma or bad karma. We belong to a God who says, I belong to you. Yeah, you belong to me, but I belong to you. And the audacity you have to wake up tomorrow morning and say, well, I'm not really sure because, you know, you didn't get me coffee fast enough. I sometimes struggle with that thought. I mean, if you really loved me, are you going to turn the coffee on? (laughs) Or are you going to go, or the, are you going to go get the kids ready for school? It's those kind of thoughts that selfishly draw inward that say, I will qualify your love by how I feel about me right now. When he says, I have not withheld anything from you, more so, I gave my son for you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 10 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever loves, and that word there is not just the word love, phileo, or the love which is eros or storge. It is love agape, which is the love that comes from God. Uniquely a love that is sacrificial, but that's just a part of it. It is unconditional That's just a part of it. Which is why when you get to songs like the one we sang today, we struggle for words, which is why you come up with words like reckless. The Bible word, which has been used all the way through the Old Testament into the New, is the word steadfast. It it, it comes up and shows up on the scene and never moves. It's like an anchor that does not 
shift. When everything else shifts, it stays. So when you relate it to the song we sang earlier, when, it, when there is one that is lost and the 99 who are, it's not reckless as much as it is, I love that one in an anchor-like way that I will go after it. I'm relentless, and I, which might seem reckless to some people, about pursuing that one. Because I, made a, I, co- I committed my word to that one and said, I will be your God and you will be mine. So the fact that you're stuck on a ledge somewhere, I have no qualms, I have no second thoughts about, oh, but what about all this? I said I will not leave you. So I will come after you. And this is why it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Every single morning, He awakens you with new mercy. Lamentations 3 tells you this. It is because of the great mercy and loving kindness of God we are not consumed. Morning by morning, His mercies towards you are fresh. Fresh. Never stale stuff. Fresh. Because He wakes up. The amazing thing is God never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. He wakes up longing to do you good. Longing to do what draws you into the best place you need to be. His heart is disposed to you like a spouse who never gets anything wrong. That is his heart towards you. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now this is maybe one of the most abused passages of scripture in the world today. Because we are not talking about how you feel about who you are. That is not love. We're talking about a love that lays itself down even before you are asked. God is that kind of love. Not love is God. Love is not God. But God is love personified. It's love expressed. He says, if you want to see my love at work, the children I have, the people that I have in the earth, on the earth today should be people who are driven by a sacrificial love. Not a compromising love, which draws into self-belief, self-esteem, self-worth. We're talking about people who say, I will lay everything I have down to see God glorified. I will lay everything I have as mine so that He might be glorified. That is the kind of love God has. And in this is love. The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His Son into the world so that we might live through him and this is love that not that we have loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation which is the word to stand in the way of the just punishment towards sin Jesus stands in the way of that takes the bullet for you which is why Jesus had to die because that bullet was meant for you and me He stands in the way of righteous judgment. And he says, Lord, now look upon them with favor. That is love. He put his life on the line. You will see this in the secret service a lot. Like when when you see people who get jobs like that. It's crazy. There's a VIP somewhere. And they're like, that guy could be a total mm-mm, kind of a person. But they're there. My job is to get between danger and them. Whoever they are. That's my job. It takes 
for people who join our armed forces, people who serve in the military. It takes a different kind of a person, those who serve as firefighters, to actually lay down your physical life in a way where you know there is no repayment for that life. There is nothing that you can receive on this side of glory where someone will say, oh, here, let me pay you back for that. Which is why it's so pitiful when, you see when someone loses their life in the line of duty. What can a grateful nation provide? A folded up flag? I mean, it is worth of, worthy of honor, but that's, that's about it. We cannot give you a life. A, li a life for a life, I cannot do it. We as humans cannot do it. And God says that sacrificial love is one aspect of his kind of love. But Jesus goes even further still. He not only says, I will sacrifice for them, but I will draw them into the benefits that I had, which they did not have. We get a benefits package as the ones being protected. He puts it all out there. Everything. So which is why the question is asked. How will he not also with him give you all things? How? I mean, in what world, in what universe are you where you think he's somehow going to hold something back from me because I'm not really good enough? Because I really haven't been to church enough or my marriage doesn't look that great or my kids, I've been trying. He knows where you are. He knows exactly the struggles you face. And he comes alongside you and he says, I want you to know I belong to you. Will you let me in? Will you allow me to be God to you? Someone who will not fail you. So now I, when I read this verse, I hope you will see it slightly differently. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave. He did not hold Himself back from you. While you were running the other way, He came after you and He says, I have loved you. And I will send my son for you. That whoever, I'm not someone who will only pick you if you have come from this genealogy. Or, because that was how the covenants of God were in the old time. But God says, I'm starting a new lineage which is through Abraham still. But another one which is called the lineage of faith. If you will believe and take God at his word. Which is why John 3.16 says that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have a fullness of eternal life. This is one verse that we often just skip by because we all know it. But this, this is why it is so central to the gospel. John 17 verses 21 and 20 to 23 now this is maybe like my favorite verse recently. Just after we did life groups last year, this would be my highlight verse. This is Jesus praying for us. He first prays for the work that he was to do. Then he prayed for the disciples that he had. And then this is his closing part of his prayer. And he's talking about us here the people who would believe later on. Father, that they, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. Do you see this word one show up a lot? This is why when we see ourselves as two, as it, as it relates to God, you're already on the losing side of that argument. 
you're already on the losing side of trying to make it work because you're already seeing something that he has called one, two. Now this is the verse that gets me every time. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and that you loved them as you have loved me. The fact that God would love me with the same intensity with which he loves Jesus. I don't know if you're reading that there. It's right there in the text. I'm not making this up. His disposition toward you, a failing person who doesn't get it right on most days, who has trouble with your kids, who doesn't have the right job, who doesn't know enough scripture, whatever your argument is for why you're not good enough, he says, I love you the same way I love my son. And I thought you were worth it when I sent him. Not because of any intrinsic, unique value that you have by yourself. Some people run away with that, that whole idea and make up a new theology there. But we're talking about God saying, I have come after you that you will see the treasures I have for those who are mine. I want to be a generous God. I want to be a generous lover. Not someone who's sitting there saying, I guess tonight's the night you get one slice of pizza and maybe a can of Coke. In the f-. Like, I would love to take you out to a nice dinner. It's my delight as the one who loves you to love on you. But will you let me? Will you let me? But we go, no, we're middle class. We're fancy like Applebee's. No, okay. <laughs> but, yeah. but we want to do the, we think that there is some, something to be said for, no, d- d- you don't need to me. I'm just me. I'm easy. I'm easy. So God doesn't have to do too much. I mean, if you could just make sure that I can make ends meet. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to succeed. But guess what? Success doesn't always look like a great job, great 401k, amazing kids, everything works out. That's, the problem is that's where that theology gets warped. Where it comes into this where God's prosperity is what defines His love for you. No. That is the cherry on top where he gets to say, I love to take you on date nights. Where I get to buy the most expensive steak on the menu for you. But there will be days where you don't get steak, let alone, I mean, you won't get steak, you won't even get green beans in a can. But it is not a statement on whether I love you. How many of you in your marriages, in your life, have ever judged the quality of the food you ate as a litmus test for whether your spouse actually loved you? And if you have, I want to challenge that. Because these are the things where we attach ourselves to temporary goodness transient goodness to say, well, this is how you show me you love me. Which is why sometimes it's confusing for guys when they're met with, "I I don't know if you love me because you're like, I go to work every day. I'm trying really hard, trying to make sure all these bills are paid. But that's not her love language. That's yours. But there is an understanding. Someone who loves another person says, I understand that's what you're trying to say. You didn't bring me flowers. I would love flowers. So check in husband brain. 
it would be good to bring flowers instead of just going to work. But you need to understand, in a relationship that truly honors, we do not judge the relationship based on how much I get or don't get. Which is why when we take the promises of God and try and make it fit our circumstance, and we're like, this has to happen for me. Why? Because God loves me. And if you don't get that, ah, so you're behaving like a four-year-old. Okay, now we're on the same page because that's what my four-year-old does. I wanted the chocolate. You didn't give it to me. You know, usually you hate me. I'm like, I don't hate you. How did you ever come up with I hate you? I let you live in my house. I clothe you. I feed you. I bathe you. But in that moment, you think I hate you. Now, it takes instruction. It takes working with. But that's what happens when you're four. You see everything in those kinds of terms. And God grows us up in Him. So this is why that passage of Scripture is there. How do you think if He gave you His Son, that He won't give you everything else you need? That you are caught, and this is why I titled it this. This is something that I've been learning through going through loss and going through what seems like great defeat. That the inescapable love of God is like a vice grip that holds me in the middle of whatever's going on, not because, well, if you didn't do this, so therefore I don't know if I can. No, why are we having that conversation when he says, I live with you, you live with me. Let's hold hands and let's walk. Why are you trying to take your hand out of mine and like, but this didn't happen. And that didn't happen. And then this happened. Okay. And I said, I will walk through all of that with you. I never said you're going to escape everything. When days are good, believing the love of God is easy. When days are not good, when days downright suck, how do I trust that God is good? How do I trust that God loves me? Well, look at your life and the people that you love. There are days you mess up big time. Or they mess up big time. You still feed them. You still love them. You still honor them. And that's a failing example. But God put us in families to show us that covenant does not break over circumstance. This is why family matters. This is why marriage matters. So what you do in your home reflects how people understand the covenants of God. So I put this to you as a, as a humble person who is not trying to say, you know, you got to be better. I'm saying we all fail. We all have places where we get caught up with ourselves. But God's not like that. And especially if you're raising children, and if you're caring for a home or a parent or whoever it is, draw close to the love of God because that is how love flows out. You will start to find a sacrificial love that draws close to covenant that does not base it on circumstance. That does not base it on whether I get the goodie bag. Date night's coming. There are days when we're going to have a party. There are days when we're going to dress up and go paint the town red. But today might not be one of those days for you. This season you're walking through might feel like a trudge. You might be feel like you're Fight deep in sludge. Every single day feels hard to get up. But I want you to know, you, all you need to do is put your hand out and grab His. Because you are held in the love of God unlike any other love. And His love does not fail. 
His love does not fail. So abide in His love. John 15 verses 9 through 11. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Stay in my love. Stop trying to get off the reservation and figure things out. Stay in my love. This is right after He said, Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We all know that passage, but this is the one that follows that. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. This is where He draws you into the place where obedience is not something He's extracting from you, but something that forms this relationship. It deepens the fellowship you have. The relationship of father to son is present right from the get-go. But the more my son pays attention to me when I say, if you don't clean the bottom of your lawnmower, you're going to have thatch and chunks of grass everywhere you mow. Oh, I've got to get it done. Well, you're going to be cleaning up thatch for a long time. Because you didn't do the other part. But the more you obey, the more you listen. You know I'm not trying to extract something from you. I love you fully. Now the fellowship we then enjoy draws you to a newer place of success. To a newer place of maturity. So in whatever you're doing, I want you to see that these poor human examples that I'm giving you point you to a bigger truth. That when God joins himself to you, he's not going to withhold anything from you. But he will train it. So when he says, no, not that for now. But why? Because I'm your dad. But why? How, how many of you have heard the but why after you've just given the instruction? There, I can sit here and reason through the whole process with you. But I know that you're not mature enough to go through that process just yet. So for now, I will say... N O. No. Huh. So I love you. I will reiterate that. So do you hear your father's voice? Do you hear your heavenly father call to you and say, uh-uh, just because I said no to that, or just because this did not happen the way you thought it should have happened, it does not mean I don't love you. Jude verse 21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God. It's almost a position that you have to sit and camp. Because there is a, a drawing away from God that happens when you try and live in the mundane. When you try and think, I've got to do these things. That you lose out on the treasure of being found in His love. And this is what I want to finish with. And this is something that's really deeply affected me lately. By faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith, when Abraham obeyed, so Abraham did. He acted on what God told him. When he was called to go out to a place when he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went off, not knowing where he was going. How many of you will get into the car and say, Okay, I'm ready to move towns. Take my family and everything I have and go. I don't know where I'm going. But God says, move. So he moved. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now in verse 13, it follows on. All of these people, this includes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these all died in faith, not having received the things that were promised, but having seen them, Greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak like this make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of a land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. So if I was thinking in the context, let me just break this down a little bit quickly. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Just this word homeland. If I say the word home to you, there are thoughts that fire in your mind. Home. Now, if I say, leave home, come with me. 
you're going to lose your home. I'm going to give you a home. I've got a home for you. Michael, leave, leave everything. I've got a home for you. There's a part of you that's like, okay, uh, okay. But home is there. Because that, that's, that's what makes me safe. That's what makes me feel the most myself. I know my bed. I know the groove, where, pillow, everything. That's my space. That's home. He says, no, I got something new for you. So leaving what you have as your comfort, and he says, homeland is there. How many of us would not want to look back? And that's part of this journey with God. When he calls you into his love, when he joins himself to you, he's saying, stop looking back. Stop. Because I have home for you with me. Take my hand and let's walk. And when he leads you away, you're like, wait, this is nothing like I know. But you have told me we are getting to home, but I've not seen everything yet. I don't know what's coming. And he says, that's why you abide in my love. When you abide in my love, you will always have your eyes set forward. When I married Hannah, when I got to know Hannah, I mean, I... When I left India when I was an 18-year-old, I knew that I needed to go get an education and get, you know, get a job and those kind of things. I did not know I was going to become an American. Like, how do those things co correlate? They don't. God pulled me out of what was home. He says, I've got a new home for you. But then, just before you think you can camp and make home, let's keep moving. This is not home. And then I come here, I have a wife, I have four kids. I mean, he's surely home. Home, home. Ah, I realized home was never a place. It was who I was with. So wherever Hannah is, is home. It seems like a trite, almost like movie series kind of statement. Home is wherever you are. It is the truth of the matter. Because the problem is we attach significance to places and circumstance. And we feel that becomes homeland. While we are committed to this place, while we're, uh, while we're here, we are still strangers and exiles here. This is not your home. So as long as you are tied to these things, this includes your wife and kids, you will always be looking that way. For everything God calls you to, it's almost like He's trying to steal something from you. So you're trying to cover all the bases before God does anything with you. Because I might, it might affect my wife. It might affect my kids. It might affect my job. So I'm trying to carry all these things with me everywhere I go. Why? Because God called me. So I'm still trying to obey God, but I'm trying to carry all this with me. You see how silly that would look? You're trying to pull Will my retirement follow me here? Will, will I get a good, decent retirement? Will I? And this is what you look like everywhere you go. Like someone with something in your pants, right? <laughs> but you're walking around with all these things because you have always wanted to look backwards when God has called you to a homeland that is there. And he says, I'm home for you. The more you get used to that reality, you will find yourself moving deeper and deeper into love with Him because it's not extracted from you. Because wherever He goes, provision is there for my kids, for my daily needs. And guess what? If I lose my life in the process, there is a better home. I stop valuing the things of this world, including my very breath. Like as if it is something I need to preserve from God. Just in case He might take it. Lord, You have it all. And like Jackie said, again to come back to that. If it comes to that decision tomorrow, I need to make that decision tomorrow. But today, I live. Today, I have a house. Today, I have kids. 
So, Lord, I'm going to live it to the fullest with what you have given me. Never doubting your love for me. Amen? Sorry, I took a little while. I had to finish that thought.